you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? It is a Move the Sticks Monday, and I am here with my man, Lance Airline. Let's get it. Let's get it. Spilling it for DJ. Look, our guy, Daniel Jeremiah, is out on the road this week covering three pro days. He will be hitting up Alabama, Ohio State, and Missouri, but it doesn't matter. I got my man, James Harden, filling in. (laughs) We're getting buckets here on the Move the Sticks podcast. Lance, how you doing? How's everything? Doing good. Doing good. Just uh, I got mock my my mock. I'm finishing up. Uh, oh, your mock, your mock. You finishing up? I just finished up my mock. Like, yeah, it's, 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 hey, it's I like this week. new one where they throw like 70 people's mocks in there. So Come I only on. have to do. I have three this year. The first year I had to do like six, and a six times you know six times hate whatever hate <laughs> you know times six. So I came. I fired right out of the gate making Ohio State fans mad. Because I put oh, yeah. Rashawn Gary ahead of Nick Bosa, which oh. then I made Raiders fans mad because I put Kyler Murray at four. And that's back before the oh. group think was, you know, was like, well, Kyler Murray's way back. <laughs> so I put him at four. And then that got Raider fans heated, which I didn't even know they were caping for David for Derek Carr. I didn't I even know that was a it's thing. A There's some of that going on. Yeah. And I thought I was going to make them happy. <laughs> they weren't happy. So I made Raider fans mad, Ohio State fans mad. And then I made um, 49ers fans, probably the three worst fan bases you can make, man. Oh, you made the Niners, right? Yeah, I made Niners because I put Rashawn Gary at, at, at two. Rashawn Gary, by the way, is working out with uh, with the 49ers. He's going to visit him with him. He's got one of his visits there. So. See, you might be on to something. We'll see. Kyler, and then maybe Raiders would have been interested in Kyler Murray if he was at four, but I don't think he's going he four. Might not, he, might not, he might not be there. I mean, look, it's, it's, it's a fun time. Draft season is – uh, upon us, and it's it's crazy just the things that we're hearing, the things that are kind of going on, and we're seeing. Um, you know, watching free agency, man, free agency really impacted the mock draft. Your mock just got blown. I mean, it just blow, it just yeah, blows it, just it up. Blown like up. it blows up everything that yeah. you have, all the guys that you kind of have connected with the dots or whatever. When someone goes and signs somebody, it, it makes it uncomfortable. It makes it very uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's the oh. thing about mock drafts is. Every year we have our mock drafts, and in free agency, like the Bills. I've been putting DK Metcalf to the Bills at nine this whole time, and then all of a sudden they add two more wide receivers. Now, I don't know that that precludes them from looking at wide receivers. Man, are we going to go and get another receiver with a top ten pick? That's what I'm saying. It's funny. That was the debate that I had. I was like, man, like, like mm-hmm. I put DK Metcalf there, but do they need another wide receiver to go with John Brown and Cole Beasley? Right. Like, how many more guys can they add to the mix when you have – Robert Foster there, and they kind of like him mm-hmm. as a young player. What can they find to feel that O-line need? Or maybe they need to get a tight end. Like, there's so many ways to go. But, yeah, free agency kind of messes up the mock season. It makes you change and rearrange some of the guys that you have. But you worked for a team, so you understand that this is, like, free agency to me. You can address a need, or you can just kind of uh, use the caulk 
to, to, to yes. just to clean it up a little bit so that if you want to draft that position, you can. But if you don't want to, you got that caulk there, that one-year deal like the Texans. You know, I'm, I'm in Houston covering the Texans. They have two one-year cornerbacks um, that they've signed, and then they gave a longer-term deal to Gibson at, at, at safety. Yeah. But you got one-year corners. Well, so, that allows so you, them yeah, double down to, to go corner if they want, but, but maybe not in the first. Now, they're desperate at tackle now. Now they almost have to draft tackle in the first round. But I do like when teams – it's not great for us doing mock drafts, but when teams say, you know what, we're going to throw a little something to this in free agency so we don't have to reach there if we don't want to. You know, it's funny that, that you talk about this, and the Odell Beckham Jr. – trade is kind of old news because it happened at the end of last week Mm -hmm. but in talking to people uh, around the Browns um, they talked about the way the league is changing the old draft and develop model Mm -hmm. you can't stick by that anymore in fact I talked to some guys that said that kind of breeds complacency because now you have guys kind of pegged and positioned to be these players that you're going to stick with and because they know that the franchise is always draft and develop they kind of get comfortable being there that's interesting whereas when you start to bring in these free agents, and particularly when you're bringing in free agents or trades that are blue-chip players, and you start adding real competition to the mix, start adding real guys, it kind of changes the fabric of your team. And we saw the Browns go out and get a bunch of blue-chip guys. Olivier Vernon, uh, they go and get Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, you think about what they've been able to add in Sheldon Richardson. This team looks different than the team that we trotted out. And I think what's interesting when I look at the Browns, they not only have a mix of young players and old players, but because they have so many guys that they would deem to be their stars on rookie contracts, mm-hmm. it allows them to go and get stuff. Because when you look at Nick Chubb, starter, rookie contract. Miles Garrett, rookie contract. I think Joel Petonio is still on his rookie contract. Is he still? I think you're they, right. They haven't had to really go and pay, so they still have a lot of money in the coffers to allow them to be aggressive and bold. It's because they like busted that. on so many first-round well, picks. I mean, yeah, I mean, when you bust on first-round picks, like, you don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, they're going to pay. But, no, but, like, but like, just think yeah. about like how these teams are doing. And we saw last year with the L.A. Rams. We've seen the Philadelphia Eagles do it, the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, people talk about the Kansas City Chiefs were in on some guys that we never thought. Like, they said they had conversations about maybe getting Le'Veon Bell right. to the mix. Like, right. What what is this? What are we doing in the league? You know, it's interesting because they're a, they're an analytics group. Um, well, there's a split. You got the personnel guys, and you got the analytics guys in Cleveland. We know that, but the analytics, the information is still going to leak to the front. What what the front office Dorsey does with it, that's with John Dorsey. But you know, I had heard that the Browns considered there to be 15 players who are first round players in this year's draft, mm-hmm. and that sounds. That sounds about right. About 15 guys who are first-round picks. So they, you know, analytics is always about quantifying value. So for them, that 17 pick, they consider that a second-round player, you know, generally speaking. So in the Browns' mind, they considered they were giving up a second-round player and not a first-round player. That makes even more sense right now. It does make more sense. And so it's funny that you bring it up because that is really kind a behind-the-curtain conversation. Um, learning from those guys, and we all kind of were reared together, it all stems from the Ron Wolf tree. Ron Wolf would say, in a perfect draft, there may be 24 guys that are really first-round picks. Mm-hmm. Like, in, in most drafts, it's somewhere between 22 to 24 guys that really have first-round grades that will kind of be universal around the league. And so when you talk about this year's draft, and you, and you mentioned that they talked about maybe 15 guys being first-round picks, it kind of makes sense because what have we always said about this draft? It's all defense. Yeah. Okay, well, if you have all the defensive guys, like, okay, so maybe you get the 15 guys, but there's not a notable offensive player that is universally celebrated. There's not a running back. There's even the offensive line class. They're guys that we're like, yeah, but there's no one that we're like, he is absolutely a top five. DK Metcalf is 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 a stud athlete, but, I mean, he's still a projection player. Projection he's not a player. production player. He's a projection player. Right, and when we talk about first-round picks, and I think this is the thing like where sometimes it gets twisted out in the Twitterverse, um, worry more about how a guy will play rather than where he gets picked. Yeah. Because when you're grading players, and you do a great job of this, we are grading them for how we expect them to play in two, three, three years. four years. Yeah. We're not grading them based on, hey, I think this guy's going to be a first-round pick, so I'm going to slap a big grade on him. It's – how do you expect this prospect 
to play out when he gets into the National Football League in time. Who's he going to be? Like, you can't focus on who he is now. I think a lot of people, the mistake that's made, and, and we've all done it, but you, you start grading the tape, but you have to grade elements of the tape. You can't just grade how they're playing. I mean, to an extent, sometimes you can. Sometimes the tape is exactly who they're going to be, but there are other people, and that's when you get into traits. You hear all the talk about traits, mm-hmm. and some people who are listening right now, they may think it's overdone, but you have to because with – and especially when you look at a guy like um, Darius Leonard. Now, Darius Leonard was – now, he was very, very productive as yes. well. But Darius Leonard, what happens when he goes from South Carolina State and now he's going into pro coaching with a pro training table and pro nutrition and pro – now what can this guy who is productive, if not a little light, um, what can he do on the next level? Well, he can become an all-pro. He can become you know, the defensive rookie of the year. So um, I think that's – you have to look at those guys and project who are they going to be. And that's why first I, – I'm with you. That's the the one thing that really frustrates me the most in dealing with the general public through Twitter mm-hmm. is that there's not an understanding that, you know, sometimes um, – and I may put a grade on a guy, but I wouldn't necessarily draft that yes. guy. Yes, and that's the that's difference. That's the other thing. The difference is, like, what we're doing right now is we're grading for the league. Uh, when you work for a team, there's certain things fine that you're tuning. looking for. You fine-tune This is for the team and how he fits in. And I think it is always important uh, to keep that in mind when we're putting these grades on people that, look, it's not about, A, on draft day being right. Like, A, he went to top 15 or he went to a top 10. It's, hey, if I give a guy a grade saying that I believe he's a top 10 talent and the grade equals that that's where he goes, I'm really saying that I expect this guy to be a dominant player that plays at a all-pro level mm-hmm. for years and years and years. That is how it's kind of viewed. And when teams talk about building a championship squad, most will tell you that it takes 8 to 12 blue players, meaning God, they that are, many? Yeah, 8 to 12 blue players uh, typically comprises a championship team. And blue is, is an and, upper and blue, level. Yeah. And blue is upper level. We're talking about they rank at the top five of their position. Yeah. They're guys that are universally celebrated as dudes. And so – I wrote about this last week about the Browns, and it's crazy to a lot think. Of blue but guys, now the Browns are now at a point where they haven't, and it comes from when I entered the league playing for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Bruce Smith, Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, Andre Reid, all Hall of Fame players. Yeah. Then there were some other guys, Cornelius Bennett and Henry Jones, that were at the top of their position. Daryl Talley. I go to the Green Bay Packers. Brett Favre is there. Reggie White is there. Leroy Butler is playing at a high level. Antonio Freeman, Mark Tremere, Keith Jackson. And so what I'm learned just from watching that is like it does play out like that in real time. There are some exceptions to the rule. Maybe we could talk about the Patriots being maybe an exception because they have Tom Brady. They're the all-time exception to everything. A, a little bit. Gilmore, some of those guys play. But when you look at it, the most talented teams are the ones that are typically hoisting the Lombardi. Look at the top five, and, and, and you want to talk about blue. We may not even have four, sometimes not even two on some of these. Arizona, not many blue guys. Right. Uh, uh, San Francisco, not many. The Jets, not many. Oakland, it really does play out like It does that. play out like like you have to have guys, and like ideally you would like to knock it out the park and draft it where you develop those guys and they go on because now you get the double bonus of not only have you acquired blue chip talent, but you got them on cheap deals. So now you can add more talent yeah. like the Rams have been able to do and like the Eagles and some other teams. So you want to draft well, but you also want to hit in that area because then it gives you the flexibility to be able to add other players. You know, I just quickly I want to get into this before we move on. But so Daryl Morey, who is, you know, Mr. Yes. Analytics in basketball, one of the things is he almost never drafts in the first round. He uses his first round pick as capital because he understands that other teams will value it Yes. And he values the ability to get a proven commodity to win. And so he's found a different model. And I'm kind of wondering if that's playing into what into what the how the Browns viewed that pick as, as though, look, the value of this, we value this in terms of a, 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 a financial component yes. that will trick you into giving us a really good player. Now, that well, trick think- might be strong, but – no, no, no. I, th- I think there's something to that because yeah. I, I I believe this is like those old game shows where people are like, hey, what's behind door number two? I want door exactly number two. What I want is. door number two. When like, we don't know. Door number one's Odell. <laughs> right. Like I know what Odell can do. So right. for me, and I think this also kind of plays out a little bit with the Oakland Raiders. Mm-hmm. Um, having played for John Gruden, John Gruden likes – A lot of picks. He likes 
older players, mature players, guys that he knows. So people are like, well, how could he give up on Amari Cooper and get back in Antonio Brown? Well, part of the reason is because if you check his tree, he has always had success with older wide receivers. Going all the way back to when he was a wide receiver coach in Green Bay, he had Sterling Sharp. Then when he went to Philadelphia, he had Irvin Fryer, made Irvin Fryer a pro bowler. Then he goes to the Oakland Raiders. Tim Brown and Jerry Rice both play at high levels. Goes to Tampa, he has Keyshawn Johnson. But after Keyshawn leaves, guess who comes in? Joey Galloway in the Mm mid-30s. So there is something to – Good when point. I see him play in the National Football League, to me, it's an easier uh, evaluation because now I'm seeing apples to apples. What are you going to do? I'm not, you got three first-rounders, though. Do you think he's going to oh, still I, potentially So, so I, I think he's still going to do it, but I wouldn't be surprised if he made a deal. If he made another deal. I wouldn't be surprised if he made another deal to get another proven player because, as you say, all of these guys that come from the college background that are draft and develop guys, they want those picks. They covet those picks. Right. And maybe the value is in, hmm, you can have the pick. I'll take the player. Depends on where you are as an organization. You know, looking at the top picks, um, it's interesting because Arizona, San Francisco, the Jets, Oakland. Now, Arizona did some of that spackling in terms of (laughs) with the with the rush, but they still need rush. They, I mean, this is a one year guys. Yes, you know, I can still see where the hole in the door was slamming the door too hard. The back of the the back of the door handle, but um, Arizona, San Francisco, the Jets, Oakland, Tampa. These are five t- – the Giants. I mean, these are all teams that need edge rush. You got a guy, Montez Sweat, Bucky, who just um, was diagnosed. So he was diagnosed previously, and Ian Rappaport, our own Ian Rappaport had this, that he has an enlarged heart. It's the same – a thickening of the heart muscle. And it's the same thing, I guess, something similar to Maurice Hurst. Ooh. Now, Maurice Hurst was a 1-2 last year who fell to the fifth. But – the, here's the difference. Maurice Hurst was not allowed. They caught it at Combine. He was not allowed to perform. Not only did Montez Sweat perform at the Combine, he blew it out. Uh, yeah. They gave him the go-ahead. So I'm kind of wondering if this is a little different deal because Montez Sweat performed at the Senior Bowl. Montez Sweat performed at the Combine. Montez did well. And I think it benefits him that Maurice Hurst had a really good year for the Raiders last year. Yeah, and ultimately this – But is it good enough to draft him in the top five with that issue? Oh, man. See, that's the thing, the risk and reward. And a lot of times uh, general managers and owners will fall back to the medical team because what you don't want to happen is you bring him in then something happens uh, catastrophic and then it kind of falls on that. I think the big thing when it comes to sweat is – the fact that he was able to go through the combine, mm-hmm. the fact that it comes out now, now when he comes on those private visits, you probably have to send him out to the doctor and make sure Another, that he yeah. has to do it. And I, I wonder if he'll have to go back to the combine and do the recheck um, just to make sure that everything um, is clear. But that is very, very important to him. And what I can tell you from being on the team side, guys don't like surprises. And so it probably helps him that this came out now, right? Um, that he has enough time to – kind of talk about and spend it. His representatives can kind of get ahead of it um, and get all the testing to kind of like check all the boxes. But, yeah, it is something that could impact his draft status because you're talking about a guy who is, I believe, kind of made a strong case to be a top ten pick, maybe even top five pick. Yeah, I was looking at Tampa at five, and and now I'm going to change my – in my mock draft, um, I can tell you right now I have him fallen to, to Carolina just as a little sneak peek. No, That's a 16, but I'm still keeping him in the first, and I think it's because – I think Maurice Hurst's play really helps him. You don't want to be the first – you don't want to be the first in. Yeah, and so what that does, it's like anything. Uh, when you see people, you talk about who does he play like, the right. comparisons. Well right. – uh, the more information we get, the more it changes our mind when it comes to decisions. It's interesting, Bucky, because I think his 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 management team, his his agents, um, and I actually know his agent pretty well, um, one of them, and I think they've got to say this is why he's different than the situation with Maurice Hurst. But at the end of the day, you got to say, but this is why Maurice Hurst is the guy we want you to look at. Yes, because look how he played, and I was surprised he fell all the way to the fifth. I don't know all the medicals. Yeah, I, I was on really it. surprised because he was a really good player. He's a right. guy that we talked about being a borderline first, second round pick to go in the fifth was surprising, but then he played like the guy that we saw on tape. He played very, very well for the Oakland Raiders, and so um, I think those things were certainly bold well for Montez Sweat. Um, and thinking about this, the draft, we've seen the quarterback market continue to go. Ryan Fitzpatrick wow. continues to get paid, continues to get deals, signs a two-year $11 million deal with the Miami Dolphins. White Walker. I He's mean, just the ice king. He I just, mean, he just, he just gets him. Like, how does this – Can't stop him. I mean, how does this impact – 
the quarterback market. Does it? I, I mean, I wonder. Like, there, there are a couple. He's of, a bridge. He's got to be a. He's the king I mean, of the bridge is, quarterbacks. I mean, he is a bridge. I mean, he is as average as the day is long. I know he is. Yep. He is hot. He's prone to get hot for two or three games, but he, he did is, come out of nowhere with a little run. I mean, he is what he is. But yeah. I do wonder. And some of this impacted Josh Rosen. I do wonder what teams really feel about these quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Kyler Murray's in a different situation with Kingsbury being at number one. Um, but really in looking at the mock draft, I think there's a scenario where these quarterbacks slide a lot farther than we're used to seeing of late. Like with Dwayne Haskins, I'm worried because when you go through the checklist, I do not believe, and I'm going to say this on record, I do not believe the New York Giants are going to take a quarterback at six. I don't either. I don't the more they talk, take- hey, Gettleman didn't lie last year when he was yes. telling you <laughs> – <laughs> Y'all don't – please don't put a quarterback yes. with us at two. Like, he's smokescreen. Nope. Everyone thinks – you know what? Everybody thinks everything's a smokescreen, I've nope. noticed. He's There's you. a lot of times it's not smokescreen. <laughs> I'm telling you exactly how it is, and he yeah. he's doing it. So, when we go through the list, the Raiders at four, mm, probably not. Go to the Giants at six. Now you got to nope. slide all the way to what? Jacksonville, seven, Jacksonville, no. No, Cincinnati, 11? Yeah, I mean, Denver's not going to take one to ten because they feel like Joe Flacco. Cincinnati is 11. Is, is Zach Taylor really going to take a quarterback right out the gate? I get a feeling that they don't view Flacco as a bridge. I, I get the feeling like yeah, so, that's so, not a – No, no, we're not looking, not looking to upgrade. He's our guy. So they're trying to win now. They can't draft right. and develop a quarterback. So Cincinnati, it seems like Zach Taylor is good with Andy Dalton. So now we're at 13. Miami. All right, so we're, we're, we're at the Miami Dolphins, and you're Brian Flores, you're Chris Greer. Um there's a conversation out there that they're trying to uh, hang loose for the 2020 class. I'm going to say this. I believe that's a mistake because having looked ahead to the 2020 class, they're okay. I'm not ready to anoint them as, hey, this is the, the golden boy class with Tua and Jake Fromm potentially could right. come out. Right. Justin Herbert could come out. Uh, I think we need to go easy before doing that. So I think this comes down to Dwayne Haskins versus the 2020 quarterback class. That's a good way of looking at it. And I know teams don't – they don't like to project a year in advance. They want to see how players – because you know what? I thought Justin Herbert – you know, Justin Herbert had his moments, and then he really trailed off in the second half of the it's season. Okay. And I think he, he – and when I was watching Dylan Mitchell, wide receiver from there – No one talks about him. Yeah. He should get talked about a little he bit. Should be, he should get talked about a lot more. And when I was watching, the first thing that came to that tape was, man, Dylan had to work harder than I thought he would oh, with Justin he Herbert. He was spraying it all over the place. So I'm kind of with you. That's the hot spot. Cincinnati 11, Miami 13, Washington 15, Giants 17. 11, 13, 15, 17. Those that's, are the places. That's the spot. And then I, I, let me throw in a wild card. Is Carolina a wild card right now at 16? That would be interesting. Because I know Cam Cam's 30. starting to get beat up a little bit. Cam is 30. He's starting to get beat up a little bit. Um, that's interesting. I think the perfect place for Dwayne Haskins would actually be to watch the Redskins at 15. I do too. Um, like, he kind of reminds me, and I, I hate to say this, and I said it when he first <laughs> was coming out. Um, he kind of reminds me of, like, that Warren Moon, Doug Williams, old classic right. gunslinger that kind of waddles back and kind of delivers it from the pocket. But in Washington, I think it would be a great situation because eventually I think they have one of the more – uh, talented offensive lines. They're going to be able to run the football when they get guys back. Of all the places, I think that that's the one that does have a little O-line. It has a little O-line. The other one's not as much. Physical. They don't have any playmakers outside, but that is a spot. And then at 17 with the Giants, like I've said this, I believe it to be true. I think Daniel Jones is in the crosshairs for the New York Giants. Yep. I believe the connection between he and Eli, having played for David Cutcliffe, having Eli's backup quarterback train him, his personality being comparable to Eli's. I think David Gettleman, as we're seeing, he doesn't really want a whole lot of personality in that locker room. And so he would qualify as like the perfect fit as the quarterback because he doesn't have a lot of personality, <laughs> but he does kind of play and do things kind of the way that they see fit. Is there a world where you see Locke ahead of Haskins? I don't see it because I think Haskins is a much better player. However, um, I think his talent, his arm talent, is fascinating. There's a lot of check marks with Locke, but I just I, 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 I can't I, get there on the tape. I, I Definitely can't get there on the tape. And, look, I, I love Drew. I like all these the, these kids because they came through the Elite 11 circuit. What I will say with Drew is I could see someone seeing him like Matthew Stafford, seeing his low completion percentage and being able to kind of 
uh, excuse it away and saying, like, look, look at who he played with, look at the system, this and that. He's a talented guy. Get him in our system. We can do it. Um, I think there is – I think there will be that debate, and people will trend, but I think you have to stick to the tape. I'm going to go with Dwayne Haskins. I think Dwayne Haskins, to me, I have him over everybody else. We'll see how it plays out. Um, to me, he is just a traditional quarterback that has played in the league for years and years on end. Let's go. Let, let's start a debate then. Let's start with Haskins versus Kyler Murray then. If you've got Haskins over everybody, you mean everybody? Everybody. Okay. Everybody. Haskins versus all y'all, as they would say. Let me, let, <laughs> let me start with the other side, Kyler. I recently bumped – I had them literally – one was a 6-2-0 and one was a 6 one so I had them literally right together. I made a small bump on Kyler Murray um, over over. I I wasn't blown away by Haskins at the combine. I, I didn't, and I didn't know if I was going to. It was a little soft body, but I, it doesn't bother me a ton. I, I had heard that he had lost a lot of weight to get into the combine in the two thirties. I think he's a natural bigger guy. I think he's going to play in the two forties, and that doesn't bother me that much he's clearly the polar opposite of what we're talking about with Kyler Murray I just think you know for me with Kyler Murray you have a guy who you don't have to protect him great you want to and you don't want him taking big hits but I think he's uniquely suited to Arizona because they can't block right now <laughs> and so you need somebody that can dodge dodge and duck the traffic and that's going to be Kyler Murray and not to mention the arm. You know, I like the arm talent. I like the explosive playability with the arm or the legs. Um, I like Kyler because he can kind of make his own. He can go get his own. He can create off the dribble. <laughs> oh, he definitely will. He's not a, I think Haskins is more of a catch-and-shoot guy. Oh, I mean, look, so look, if we're talking about one, one is Steph Curry, the other is Klay Thompson. Right. I think the difference with Dwayne Haskins in that scenario is, look, I've seen Tom Brady – and Phillip Rivers have a lot of success in the league, and they're doughy, not body beautiful guys. Good pocket play. mobility, though. Yeah, around. they play. They're they play. Smart. They would think, and I th- actually think Dwayne Haskins has good pocket mobility. I think the thing that kind of throws it off when we look at him, he got that big old knee brace on it, kind of makes him look a little clunky. He doesn't really run it, and we're used to seeing Ohio State when we see the Buckeye helmet. Man, for years we saw those athletes, JT Barrett run the rock. We saw Braxton Miller run the rock. And so we're kind of used to seeing a guy in a Buckeye uniform run around and make plays at quarterback. But this kid threw for 50 touchdowns. And I know people are talking about the Big Ten and they really don't throw it and maybe they don't have the athletes, but he shattered Drew Brees' record. He's a first-time starter. He looked and made that offense look like we hadn't seen Ohio State's offense True. look. And then when you talk to Ryan Day, the head coach, and he's like, look, the kid is super smart. He's smart as a whip on the board. Did a great job of kind of growing into the leader of that squad. I just think it's easy to project him being the face of the franchise. I believe he needs to go to the right situation. But if we always talk about we want our quarterbacks to be able to deal from the pocket – I don't know if another quarterback deals as well as Dwayne Haskins does from the pocket. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a, a really fair point. You know, we talked about DK Metcalf earlier, and I, I, this is my, you know, you can do a pizza, lasagna, cake. you got to have the right ingredients. And if you don't have great, great ingredients, no matter who the chef is and who the cook is, they can – you can make something only as good as your ingredients. When you look at DK Metcalf, he's got all those ingredients, right? But I'm, I'm looking at Marquise Hollywood Brown, who we're not talking a lot about because he's 160-some-odd pounds, right? He didn't run at the, the combine because he's dealing with the, the Liz Franck injury that, that should not um, bother him come draft time. He should be ready by camp. In the head-to-head comparison here, I got to be honest with you. I think Holly. I know Hollywood's tape is better. I know the tape is better. I like the tape with Metcalf, but he's a. We talked about projection versus production. I think I kind of like the projection and production of Marquise Hollywood Brown, but he doesn't tick those trait boxes. That's the only problem. But I still think, man, I still think he could be another Deshaun Jackson. Oh, I think Deshaun Jackson is the perfect comp for him. Um, I'll, I'm. I'll admit it. I am a huge Deshaun Jackson fan. I believe he was one of the best high school players that I ever saw when he played at Long Beach Poly. I thought his ability to take the top off defenses was special and unique. He was an outstanding punt returner at Cal. I believe the draft that he came out, he should have been a first-round pick. Couldn't really understand why he wasn't. When I look at Hollywood Brown, I see a lot of the same stuff from Hollywood Brown. Explosive, dynamic, terrific with the ball in his hands. He can score in every level. He can take the top off of it. He can catch it um, and do catch-and-run concepts. He has the ability to adjust and catch the ball very naturally. He is everything that you look for at the position, 
but he's smaller. He's yeah. slender. And so you wonder in a league that is bigger and more physical, can he hold up and withstand it? DK Metcalf, I think, is an acquired taste for most teams. And the reason why is he can be what I call a blue player if you only ask him to do what he does really well. Right. If you take him, I think you have to think of him as a bigger version of Ted Ginn Jr., meaning mm. he's going to run the go, the post, the comeback. I'm not going to ask him to do a lot of uh, – exotic or eccentric routes and those things because the way that he's built, we saw his three-cone time, what, 729, 738, whatever yeah, it right. is, it's not good. He's not a change of direction guy. He is a vertical playmaker. I'm going to ask him to take the top off the defense, and he needs to play alongside someone who can do the dirty work. If he's put in that role, meaning the Alvin Harper to Michael Irvin role, he'll be fine. Can he run those deep digs? <sighs> Or the kind of the over routes where he's kind of he speed turning them. Yeah. I think he can run the over. Right. Like, look, all left-hand turns, all right-hand right right, turns. Right, like, right. Just don't ask him to make hard stops. I think he can do that. It's really important for him more than any other receiver probably in the draft. He has to go to the right team and the right offense and be asked to do the right so stuff. Ole Miss had him at X, and I called it a route stick. It wasn't a route tree. It was a stick. I mean, it was everything was inside the numbers to the boundary, and it was all – you know, they didn't ask him to cross. It was almost like there was, uh, you know, yeah. a force field that do not cross. Don't go do across not the cross field. Don't into do these. Yeah, do not cross into these uh, in, across the hash because that's not where you – that's A.J. Brown's territory. And so that is also telling. And here's the thing, and I know I'm making the, the case for D.K. Metcalf being a guy that maybe goes higher than Marquis. Um, and he Brown, will. And he will go because of the yeah. traits. But I think you can make the argument A.J. Brown is a better player. Yeah, AJ Brown is the number one. Well, he's a produ- if you're going to say production proje- projection, you can stay on the same team. The production is AJ Brown. Oh, for sure, tons of it. The projection though, AJ didn't play outside. Played in the slot. Everything primarily. was from the slot. Big so, receiver. Yeah, big, big receiver. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Michael Thomas. Like he's going to mm-hmm. be the big receiver that muscles and overpowers those little nickel corners that are trying to put. But their he's hands on. not. I don't see him. But, see, the reason DK is talked about so highly is, I mean, if you miss him on the press, he's gone. Gone. He's gone. And he's shown the ability, the catch radius thing, it's real with him. And so oh, he, he can go he, get it. He has that beep, beep. He has that speed. When he when he is hitting the gear, he goes past you. And um, it, 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 it comes down to how your basketball team is constructed, meaning your wide receiver core. Do you have a, enough different kinds of players to – enhance and elevate him meaning i have a route runner i have another playmaker he is the guy that is going to come in and be my specialist i'm gonna i'm gonna audible right here on d-line we're going to talk quinnon williams i think you can talk about quinnon williams versus nick boza i'm gonna say josh allen because i think this is a real i think it's a real argument at two. Oh, i think so i, I and that's why i'm gonna go josh allen because i got josh allen ahead of everyone else saw the nick bosa stands and i like nick bosa but when I watched him, I thought, yeah, you know, he's a he's a good player. I'm gonna put him like fourth in this draft. What? But everyone's telling you know, and this is Name. yeah, and the group think so early on. That's group, all you heard about was Nick Bosa. Like, hey, group think tank is a hey, Nick Bosa is the guy. He's number one. Yeah, going all the way in. And I I love Nick Bosa, but I'm gonna go Josh Allen. If it's if it's Bosa versus Allen, I'm gonna go Josh. And I recognize this is high risk, high reward much more so than Nick Bosa. But you know what? I want to go get a guy who is learning how to rush a passer. I know that you've got a guy who already knows how in Nick Bosa. I get that. But Josh Allen this year was 17 sacks in the SEC. He learned a little move, and you can see it on tape. Somebody taught him this third step, come with the inside hand chop. Oh, yeah. And you can always, you know, it's timed up to where they're throwing their punch right when your hand chop, yeah. boom. And he just destroyed Dennis Daly. I mean, he just <laughs> ruined Dennis Daly. But Dennis bounced back. He had, he really bounced back great after that, uh, that game against Kentucky, and he told me he learned a lot from that because he got so embarrassed by that. But long-levered guy who's just learning to rush a passer, I'm taking him out of coverage. I understand Kentucky, he can do it. But I'm putting him, I mean, I'm getting after the quarterback nonstop. And I'm seeing if he could be the next Alden Smith. And I'm talking about the good Alden Ooh, Smith stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I like that. Yeah, but, I, I, but why no, not but that like, long-levered guy? No, but, like, here's the thing, and here's what I was saying. Because Alden was a dude who could get out in space, too. Alden was a dude who could get out in space. And I'll tell you, I had a lower grade on Alden because that last year in Missouri, he played more inside. Yeah, it wasn't his. Kind of like a, like a five technique as opposed to standing up and coming mm-hmm. off the edge. But when I look at Allen, 
uh, the first thing that stands out, he plays hard. Right. Love the motor. Love the uh, the energy that he plays with. I like the first step quickness and explosiveness. Comes off the edge and the like. When I talk to some strength coaches at Kentucky, they say, look, man, this dude got a little snap to him. Super explosive athlete. He's kind of a self-made man. He has learned how to become a dominant player. I think it shows out. When you saw him in the bowl game against Penn State, Man, this is a dude that didn't really have anything to play for, but he is bringing it at a high level. He's a terrific pass rusher, and I am still a believer, and I learned this from Ozzie Newsom. sack production matters. Now, you would like to see it over a sustained period of time, but, man, when a dude gets 17 sacks. That's real. That, that, that's a lot of production. And yet, here we are looking at Nick Bosa, Definitely. and, I mean, pedigree, hand fighting, he can play five. He can play. He could play wide nine. He could play five. He could play four eye. He could play three. He's done it all over at Ohio State. He has done all of those things. The thing about Nick Bosa that you like, some of it is a little bit about the traits, and the trait that we don't talk about are technical skills. Mm-hmm. He's a craftsman, meaning when you watch him rush the passer, he's an artist. He's able to set up and sequence his moves. He does a great job of working on the edges. Uh, he consistently has a way of getting pressure. Now, he doesn't have a lot of sex. I think in three years, maybe he has 17 total. Like, But some of, some of that is kind of skewed because he didn't play but yeah. three or four games this year. However, he's never been in double-digit sacks. And so we can talk about the injury prevented him this year from being in double. He's never been in double digits. And so some of why we like him is based on what we're seeing and what we're projecting out. But we don't have a lot of real tangible evidence because, remember, Draymond Jones had eight sacks for Ohio State right. this year too. Now, this is the first year Draymond got sacks. Yes. You know, and Even I'm not he had all the this, same thing. Yeah. But I'm saying he, he got sacks. Sometimes think, you got to be able to get the fish in the boat if you're yeah. fishing. See, I don't, think, I don't think Nick Bosa – I don't even call him <clears> – <throat> I don't call him an edge. I call him a defensive end. And I think he's a reduced down. He's a DN who reduces down in sub packages. He's not going to rush off the edge because I think where he's really most dangerous, because he's such a craftsman as you say, he he's so instinctive that when you make a move, he can counter without thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So I want him quickest. I want him shortest path to the quarterback, and that's going to be from inside because I think he could really cause a lot of problems from the interior. Okay, I'm gonna give you a name. How about Brandon Graham? Yeah. From the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, yep. they're not – I don't think they're the same size-wise, but when you think no, about how, smaller. how Brandon has played, yep. Brandon's been his most effective sometimes when they've kicked him down inside and let him kind of work on that, that, that guard that you is You get not into able, the edge, yeah. yeah. You kind of work on the edges and stuff. And I, mean, I don't know if Brandon has ever been a double-digit sacker in the league, but he's always been very, very disruptive. Yeah. So – Maybe Nick Bosa is more like that. Um, the other comparison I would have is another Philadelphia Eagle, maybe Chris Long. Mm. Chris Long, when he came, he was number two overall pick. You always wanted him to hunt, but he was kind of at his best when he played opposite Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn was the fastball. He was kind of the changeup and the knuckler on the other side, a guy that kind of got his sacks or whatever. He's been to a couple Pro Bowls. He's been able to make it happen. Uh, maybe Nick Bosa falls in one of those categories. Yeah, the last one, let's go to Devons. So I, I know the thought out there is it's Devin White, and I get that, Devin White over Devin Bush. I, I'll tell you, upon first viewing of the tape, I came away liking Bush a little bit more. Now, Devin White – is is has got the speed, he's got the explosiveness, he's got the physicality. I just thought Devin Bush was a lot more instinctive when I watched him. And there's something about and maybe I get too wired up on instincts, but there's something about an instinctive linebacker who's flowing to the play before it even goes and who always is in the right fits. And the one thing with Devin White is now you go sideline to sideline, you're not running past that joker because he is gonna come he is going to come get you. Mm-hmm. But Devin Bush can run also and those explosive numbers you know, I was going to move him out of the first, and I did for my first mock. And then he showed up at the combine 234. I'm like, okay, I thought he was going to be about 225. And then 234, but he's not going to run. Oh, yes, he is. And he's going to jump 40. And, he's, and so I'm like, what? So I went and looked at Ryan Shazier Ooh. this morning. Ryan Shazier, now I didn't realize Ryan had this kind of workout. Oh, he was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Their three cone was about the same. It was 6'9". That's wide receiver three cone. They, they were in a – it's basically you you like it. Six six nine is what you want your wide receivers to be in. Ryan Shazier did that. He did a one hundred and thirty inch broad jump. It was one twenty four, I think, for Bush. Their verts were basically the same. And then you got Devin Bush running in the what was he in the four fours, right? Mm-hmm. So 
at two thirty four, I don't I don't sweat the five eleven. I don't really sweat oh, that. I, I, I don't, That's not a problem. For I me. wouldn't sweat it at all. The two thirty four was a big deal. I don't know if you got a chance to peek at his pro day clip. Some of it kind of made its way to Twitter, but they showed him doing the DB drill where he's flipping and turning. Easy, huh? He looked like a safety. Yeah, like he looked like a safety. And so, um, the name of the game now at linebacker, the off the ball linebackers have to be tremendous athletes that can hit, run, and cover. Um, what I like about Devin Bush, Devin Bush is an effective blitzer. Six sacks coming off the second level. You know who else had a ton of sacks? Darius Leonard. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that we know is the league is a copycat league. When people are scouring through the tape and they see that this guy should have been defensive rookie of the year or he did win defensive rookie of the year, should have been a pro bowler, and you're looking at Darius Leonard have seven or eight sacks from the second level, huh, who are the linebackers in this class that can give me that kind of production? Devin Bush has to be a name. Um my fascination with Devin White centers around not only the sideline, the sideline ability, but the leadership skills. Yeah. Um, so much of playing that position, the traffic cop, is being able to direct and organize traffic, get everyone lined up and in the right spot. He can do that. Great leader, great worker, terrific athlete. Uh, you talk about the instincts. I think he is instinctive. Maybe he's not as instinctive as Bush, but the plays that he makes in, in space, he, he reels – running backs down, does a great job of corralling them. And I didn't see a guy that missed a lot of tackles. And for me, the guy that I want in the pipes, in between the hashes, is someone that is a sure, solid tackle who also has some thump. Do you think that um, playing on the same team as uh, Jamal Adams helped him from a leadership standpoint? Since Jamal is considered universally one of the great leaders. Uh, He is. I I think so. But I think sometimes you have that. And I know that – he has talked about Leonard Fournette being a positive influence and Leonard Fournette um, helping him learn how to work and take him under, took him under his wing when he first got to LSU. Um, I think there's a tremendous sense of pride at LSU with, with those guys. And I think for Devin White, uh, if you ask anybody there, he was kind of the pie piper. Um, and when you get multiple guys from multiple classes say that Devin White was the unquestioned leader of that defense, speaks volumes about what he may bring to the table. Leadership is something that Clemson had. I thought it was pretty cool that uh, at, the com- at the Combine you, you got to catch up in separate separate uh, appearances with their defensive line. Excited to have two of Clemson's finest, Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, joining the Move the Sticks podcast. You guys are coming from a, a very successful program, having been to a couple national titles, won, claimed claim some trophies. Um, how has that experience at Clemson prepared you to have success at the next level? Well, I feel like, you know, well, just first and foremost, just, you know, the way uh, Clemson helped groom us as men, first and foremost, and just as people, I feel like that's the most important thing, definitely. And, you know, it, it, yeah, it was, you know, the program, the coaches and guys and everybody involved and the people just around the facility, but it was the players, really. I feel like we challenge each other a lot off the field just to be the best uh, people we can be first and then the best athletes as well. And I just feel like all the lessons I learned just, you know, going against the best every day in practice, you know, I feel like you no know, like anything I ever saw in a game in college was never better than what I saw in practice. So right. I definitely feel like I'm prepared uh, on the football side of things. Uh, you know, decided just decided to see where I end up and just, you know, to have this process will play out. And I think I'm definitely ready for the next level. I mean, just to pick about what he said, I mean, going to Clemson, I mean, that's, that's the kind of things you expect to happen. You know, to grow as a man, as a football player, and, you know, just having that kind of support around you just to help you, you know, to guide you. You know, they're not holding your hand, but, you know, they're just giving you advice here and there, you know, showing examples of what not to do or, like, you know, Sweeney thing was like, be – uh, the example, not an example kind of deal. So, I mean, that's kind of how you just approach life and kind of live. So there's there's a tradition there, obviously, in the D-line room. Yeah. Um, you guys, not only this current collection, but there have been a lot of guys that have kind of worn the orange and gone on mm-hmm. to have success in the National Football League. What is it like to kind of carry on that tradition and to live up to that standard that's been established? I mean, it's great. And, you know, the pre- like, there's, no, there's pressure at Clemson, you know, especially when you're on the D-line. You got to, you know, not only live up to the expectations, but exceed them. Uh, I feel like, you know, because of the guys before us, all of our predecessors, you know, Grady, Deshaun Williams, Josh Watson, you know, uh, Carlos, DJ, all those guys, Vic Beasley, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Daquan Bowers. We put so much pressure on ourselves as men in that room, uh, you know, and just coming there like we got to play to to the standard of, you know, Clemson D-line, but also take it to another level. Right. Uh, you know, and I feel like we did that as a unit and as a group. Uh, and then we just our hope is that the next guys, group of guys, see what we did and mm-hmm. only, you know, even, you know, keep Clemson program going and the D-line. So it, it, it's, it's funny because you have a, a unique 
situation with so many guys in that room <laughs> to have an opportunity to be the first one or the second one off the board. Right. How is that internal competition between you guys when you're on the practice field? How does that play out? <laughs> I, I say I say it's a lot of competition. We, we pushing each other every day. Uh, you know, in practice, we trying to set the tone. We trying to be the guy. You know, to make that first play to get the team riled up. And um, you know, just I just blessed to be in a, a, a space like that. You know, with these guys, just you know, pushing you to be your best. You know. Going so, I mean, I, was, I won't say other other places, but there we was, we was, we had to be our best every day. You know, you couldn't take a playoff, you couldn't take a rep off. You know, because that was that was critical. You know, you wanted to prove that you know you're the man kind of deal. But at the same time, we used the genuine love for each other. I know, I I definitely agree. I feel like you know it was great because just the relationship we had. First of all. Like we weren't afraid to hold each other accountable and get after each other and you know be on each other when we needed to, but also we just competed, you know, just because it's like, dang, Dex is taking on double team, splitting it, <laughs> making the tackle. I'm like, damn, okay, now I got to do something. Now I got to make it work. Right. Clee coming off the edge, fast as good and go. Now Austin's like, all right, now I got to get my shine. Like now right. I got to do my thing. Like you know, you like you know you don't want to be that dude left out or not doing their job. So like you know, there's mm -hmm. always that pressure. There's always that good competition, and it's the best because uh, you know I feel like it brought it the best in all of us for sure. Right. So you guys have one of the best environments to play a home game in. Everyone talks For about sure, Death Valley. Valley. Then, That's right. You know, you, you had a tradition where you, you rub the rock and then you come down the hill. Mm -hmm. So I just want you to kind of take you back to that stadium. I want you oh, to yeah. just kind of picture this. Um, you come around, the bus take you around. You're about to come down the hill, <laughs> but you look down the hill, mm -hmm. yeah. and there's someone at the bottom of the hill waving you down and saying, Disrespect come on down here and get this tail kick. Right. <laughs> How would you feel about that? Because as a young man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have been one of those guys that may have done that. Right, right, right. Well, well <laughs> I, I think mean, it would. If, well, I think it would. You wouldn't have been a smart young man then because, you know, the teams, most nine times out of ten, the teams and people who've done that get, end up getting their butt whipped, you know, trying, uh, trying to egg us on every, every time, time, you know. So, I mean, as long as I've been there, no one ever did that. They knew better. Um, you know, and, we, and, you know, we didn't lose too many home games. We lost one home game when I was there. So, right. I mean, yeah, you, you, you don't want that problem. So, I, so I, can say, I can say that. I learned my lesson yeah, because yeah. we waved him down the hill when I was in North Carolina. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. it, it didn't and what turn happened? Out. What was the score of that game? <laughs> yeah, it, was was good. it was a lot to a little. <laughs> exactly. It was a yeah. lot to a little. They had just lost to Wake Forest, right. mm -hmm. and so we felt like they were ready. <laughs> now, I will say Brian Dawkins played the next year. Brian and Dex, and they came to Chapel Hill, and we oh, took yeah. care of business mm -hmm. like yeah. we should have. But it's just one of those things I just wonder if you yeah, if, yeah, if you yeah, actually yeah. see someone wave you down, like how it changes. Right. Yeah. All the pregame <laughs> antics, yeah. Right. So, hey, look, thanks so much for you guys joining the Moose Six Podcast. Best of luck going forward. We were looking forward to hearing your name's called on draft. Yeah, appreciate thank you. you. Thank, thank you for you. having us. Yes, sir. We're happy to have two of Cle Clemson's finest, finest athletes on the D-line joining the Moose Six Podcast, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Murray. How you doing? Doing good, doing good. Feels good to be a national champion and be here at the combine, so I'm doing great. Definitely, man. Good to be here. Blessed to be here. Well, you guys are part of a powerhouse now. I guess Clemson is the powerhouse in college football based on the success that you guys had during your careers. Talk a little bit about the Clemson experience. What is going on? Why is Clemson such a special place right now? Oh, man, I feel like... I feel like Clemson is where is where a, a, a college recruit needs to be, not where they so much want to be. You know, you're gonna have a great time, but if you want to go somewhere where your growth is gonna be the biggest thing, and you want to grow as a player, man, and be challenged and held accountable, um, and also have a chance to win championships like everybody wants to do, I feel like Clemson is top from top to bottom the best school for it, man, for real. Uh, yeah, just echoing a lot of what Cleveland said, man. I went to Clemson and, and definitely became a man. Uh, I grew more so off the field than I did on the field. Uh, Clemson is definitely a place for kids that, you know, have the right traits to be a great human being, to be a great person in life. And to be honest, Clemson nurtures that and makes it even better. So the person that I was when I first walked on campus and the person that I was when I walked out, uh, two totally different people, more mature and just became a, a complete man. You know, one of the things that Clemson has always been able to attract has been defensive linemen. There's a long story tradition of guys that play up front, not only having success in college, but going on to the league. Um, what is it about the tradition and upholding that standard that has been created by the, your predecessors? Oh, man, you know, I feel like it goes back to when uh, me and him were freshmen and Shaq and Kevin Dye were, you know, the two the two guys that was up next, and they had a great season. And it's like, you know, when you're the next person or the next group of guys that's supposed to step in and uphold that legacy and uphold that standard that we have um, at Clemson, it's like 
it only takes your work ethic, your mindset, and you, it really excites you that you get your opportunity to do that, do those things. So it's a blessing to go to a school where you come from a great, you know, football DNA and, and D-line DNA, but you really have to push, put the work in to really become the player that you want to be and uphold your own legacy. Yeah, definitely, man. D-line is a great position at Clemson, and it's definitely a position that, like Cleveland said, has been great there. Uh, have de- they have done everything that we want to do in the future. Um, and I think for us when we were young guys, like you said, we seen Shaq, we seen Kevin Dodd do it. So for us, we didn't want to let anybody down. So uh, that really just fueled how hard we work and the determination we had to be great as a whole. And it eventually grew into a leadership role and bringing the young guys along too. So I think that's what makes it so special is that the older guys, that it's their time, they pull the younger guys along so when it's finally their time you know that cycle just keeps going I mean obviously you guys we can talk about the guys before you but at the current moment like you guys had four guys that are gonna have an opportunity to play in the National Football League what was the competition like in that D-line room Oh, man, it only made us better. But I feel like the best thing about it and, and things that a lot of people don't really take value in is that um, we were close before we stepped on the field together. Um, so that was something that really, really made us better. When you when we wanted for each other, we wanted for ourselves, man. We could push each other to limits that I couldn't really explain to you. You know what I mean? So it was a blessing to play with these guys. Like you said, we had to fight for players out there because I got him and Christian and Dex really out there ball and doing their thing so I'm trying to fight for you know just to have my own type of impact on the game so it was huge man and to come from a great tradition I'm happy that we kind of set our own legacy and I feel like we the best group to ever do it at Clemson or in the history of college football so it was a blessing yeah definitely man and I feel like what sets us apart is we're just as great people as we are players and I think that's a combination that you don't find very often at whatever program you go to uh, all along the defensive line and to correct you, we got five D linemen that's about to get drafted. So uh, Albert Huggins too. Um, but that's just a testament to the people that Coach Sweeney brings into the program. That really just keeps the cycle going. Um, great athletes as well. You know, Coach Sweeney. You know, like people really talk about like coaching and kind of making his way to the top. But what I hear from you guys is how he's really a nice leader of men and how he really nurtures the program. Talk a little bit about Coach Sweeney and the impact that he's had on both of you guys individually and collectively. Man, I love I love the culture that he brought to Clemson, man. It's like you said, he's a leader of men. So his whole program is player led. So he puts it in our hands to 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 take the program as far as we want to go. Not many coaches do that. Many coaches want to you know, be in, on top of every single thing and force the players to, to be great. But he really just challenges us to do those things on our own. And that's what I feel like made us grow so well, just as far as people, men, and players, man, because he really puts it in the players' hands. Like, we had this thing called the Sweeney Council where he asks for our opinions, not just about how we're playing, but about how the program is being ran, how's the food, how's the, the treatment going, how, how are the coaches treating us, different things like that. And that's something where he values our opinion, you know, as men, and spiritually as well. He he opens that door for us to grow there as well. So it's a blessing to have a man like that, you know, represent our school for sure. Yeah, same thing, man. I think the biggest thing that Coach Sweeney uh, figured out is that, you know, that the most important resource in college football is the people that make it happen, and that's the players. Like Cleveland said, we're a player-driven program, uh, so he gives us as much opinion, you know, as we can give um, to make the program better and to make it better for those coming behind us. And uh, like I said, bring, bringing in the right people in the program that's going to permeate the correct culture that you need to not only just be a, a powerhouse football team, but to also have that family environment where players want to come there. They sent something different whenever they're in Clemson rather than any other school in the country. Well, man, we're excited to continue to see you guys take the next step on your football journey. Excited to hear all your names on draft night. Excited to see what you guys are able to do as NFL players and beyond. Thanks so much for joining the Move the Sticks podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Cool. Lance, the one thing I would tell you about interviewing all of these guys, tremendous amount of pride um, and upholding the tradition that's been established with that, that Clemson Tiger D-line. You go all the way back. I mean, they've had a number of guys that have gone to the pros. Back when I was playing, Chester McLaughlin and those guys were there even before then. Like, uh, look, they own it. They can yeah. own it. They, nah, they've yeah. done it there. I mean, they're, they're the chance. But I think uh, the competition that they had in the room, uh, those guys kind of uh, battling out not only for their own set of shine, but for the room to be elevated and kind of uphold a tradition, I think that plays out well. Um, I do believe two guys for sure 
I think making in the first round, Farrell and Wilkins. I think Dexter Lawrence is a little on the line just because of the nature of the nose tackle position. Mm-hmm. We have seen in recent years guys that we expected to be first-round picks, Ashawn Robinson, uh, Jaron Reed, guys that were more people movers, run stuffers that can kind of fall um, on draft day just because there's such a, uh, an intrigue and a fascination with the rushers. I believe he's on that borderline, even though I think he can do more than just be a pocket pusher inside. That, man, he's the hardest one for me to place right now, Mox, because I look where Deron Payne and Vita Vea went last year, and I'm like, too, too man. High. Yeah, too high. But they still went there. And I'm looking at, you know, and I'm looking at now, I think Dexter Lawrence is going to end up in the first because he ran some freaky, he, well, the freaky 40, and he didn't, you know, he pulled up with the leg injury. The tape, he stays. He just he's a straight down the middle rusher. But you know who else was that way? Jerron Reed. Mm-hmm. Reed fell out of the first, and then all of a sudden he showed out this year as a pass rusher. And so I think the question becomes: You got a guy with rare size, rare athletic ability, and Lawrence. Can you coach up the pass rush? Because if you can't, then those guys are falling into the into the the. I know everyone wants to put them in the first, but those kind of guys are falling out. Yeah, History does. tells us. But if you say, you know what, we think we can get him to the edge more. He's up the middle all the time. We think we can really focus on getting him to a guy's edge. And if that's the case at three forty, with that kind of quickness, I mean, that's why I think he's going to end up maybe a place like Tennessee Titans next to. Jarrell Casey, where they say, yes. "Let's go get him. Let's let's go get pocket push because we got a guy that we got to make uncomfortable on Andrew Luck because the Colts look like they might be back." Yeah, then they might be back. And for Dexter, Dexter's workouts would be important because he has to show people that he yeah. has a solid base when it comes to rushing the pass and being able to get after it. Are you bothered at all by Wilkins? You know, the one thing with Wilkins that concerns me a little, he's very very disruptive, but he has there's a lot of pluses I put, mm, and then there's a lot of minuses. Yeah, a lot of up and down, a lot of up and down tape. You know, I wonder for Wilkins, I think his position is going to be really, really important. I viewed him as a guy that could play kind of anywhere along that that D-line. Uh, he could play, I thought, a base defensive end. He could come down the side and play either. That's the interesting, and he's done that before he's in the, the base end. Yeah, I, I don't know if he likes that fire inside as a three technique. Right. Like, I think that life is a little different when you're getting double team. you got multiple bodies leaning on you. But I think if you have a, an opportunity to put him at base in and let him do some things, because he is athletic, he does make some plays in. He may not be uh, your stake at Ruth, Chris, Yeah. but I think he can be some sweet potatoes. I think, yeah. he, can be, I think he can be a nice side dish hey. that can kind of yeah. get you some production. I don't know if you want him as your number one, but as part of that rotation on that front line that can maybe get some sacks, I think he's in that mix. He's got to be a one gap, like up the field. Let's go. Let's get going. Like, he, I don't think – like it's funny you talk about D. Lyman. I don't think he's kind of like a, a glass masher where he's kind of tough, like, hey, I want to kind of take on all these bodies. I think he want to play on the edges. He wants to dance around a little bit and make plays. If, if, they, if the Cowboys hadn't traded – for um, Amari and they had a first, he would have fit Rod Marinelli perfectly, especially oh, with Irving field. gone. Like, that's a Rod Marinelli type of guy up yeah, the, up up the, the field. field. Play hard, play on the other side of the line. Uh, the other two guys, just quickly, Austin Bryant, he's still, I mean, at some point he's got to work out. That's going to be the problem. And, and they tell me, man, those guys were carrying his water. Hey, man, don't forget about Austin Bryant. Austin Bryant can play. Okay, all right. Like, yeah. Really, really positive. They think he's another guy that should be um, a pick, should be a guy that maybe is in mid-rounds for them. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, he's he's big, he's long. I just he just what to me he wasn't the same level player that the other thing. No. With Cleveland Farrell, I don't see a bunch of juice off the edge, but you know, and what was shocking to me, I don't is this a misprint? His arms were thirty two and a quarter. What? Hey, look at thirty five inch arms. But then his wingspan was eighty inches. That doesn't make sense. That he must have the broadest back in the history of football. <laughs> I mean, how are you having 32 and a quarter arms and an 80-inch wingspan? It's it's so funny. Um, You know, he's an interesting one to evaluate because you see the first-step quickness. Um, He's not real what we call bendy. Like, he doesn't necessarily dip and rip and kind of run the hump, run the hoop to get to the quarterback. But there are times when he is ready to go that he can wear – um, no one wears a bad offensive tackle out worse than he does because he will get past them. He does a good job of getting their hands off, and he can kind of turn the corner. Let me ask you a guy. This is So I'm trying to figure out where I put him. And I said, you know what? I didn't love Frank Clark when I watched Frank Clark, and I missed him. 
and I'm wondering if I'm if there's any chance I'm missing Cleveland Farrell at all because I I don't love I think he's I think he's fine he's fine but I I don't see that juice as a rusher but he did but there are times like Jonah Williams he gave Jonah the blues at oh, times man. in that he game he gave Jonah some business he gave yeah. him some work and the thing is he gave Jonah so much work that you got people talking about hey Jonah. You might not be cut out for living on the island, and so I was one of those, those people. Yeah, I was like, so, maybe I need to slide him inside the and door. And so, and so those that tape makes it hard for people because if we say that Alabama is the standard, that is the standard for the way that we play, and mm-hmm. he dominated that game. He was arguably the most dominant defensive player, but no workout yet for him. Does that bother you at all? I mean, it it, it does Cleveland? it does a little bit. Like you want to see him work out, you want to see him run around, you want to get some measurable numbers. It's a new day because some guys are like, yeah, I'm not working out. Yeah, hey, you get the tape, look at the tape. The, we're seeing that more and more. I mean, it's with pro days, it's crazy. And by the way, guys, speaking of tape and being very athletic, we're gonna close here with a little March Madness. Just Zion Williamson. I know it's probably Bucky doesn't want to address what happened in the Carolina Duke game, a one point loss. One, I'm, not, one one. I'm not sure why Kobe <laughs> White settling for a 25 foot off balance jumper when he can drive into the lane, but that's a conversation for another time. But Zion Williamson, if he was let's say hypothetically eligible for the NFL draft this year and said, "I'm going in," Jimmy Graham, Antonio Gates are out. Where would he be drafted? Would he be a tackle? Would he be a tight end where you slim him down? He's 6'7", 285 is what he's listed. Where would Zion Williamson hypothetically fit into this draft if he was there on the board? It's only one position, right? Oh, yeah, I've got to play him at tight end. Yeah. i got to play him at tight end. And based on what um, we saw Antonio Gates do, I would like to think he's more athletic than Gates. but He's one of the best athletes I've ever seen. At yeah. that weight and that explosiveness. Man, his first step quickness, his his bounce, his ability to, to execute multiple jumps in a sequence. Yeah. Uh, he's terrific. I mean, just based on the athleticism, talking about bottom of the first round. Yeah, you know, that's not even I mean, a joke. Yeah, I mean, and I like, went to school with Jimmy Graham and saw him play basketball. He was nowhere the athlete that Zion Williams I mean, is. like, this, this dude is a, a, a rare specimen outside. You don't see guys that big. And we're seeing a guy that's not in shape dominate like yeah i watched the game i guess it was saturday night or friday night friday night mm-hmm. friday night the semifinals and i like this dude is the best guy on the floor and they were like the fact that there's some debate about him being the number one pick in That's the nba draft is ridiculous is like, but i talked to people they were like oh yeah. you know depends on who takes i was like no he's blue chip. like he he can R- also block shots from like eight feet away i mean rj barrett cam Reddish, they look man they they look small in comparison in terms of, like, their games. Zion has a, a knack for the big stage. So, for me, I'll take him at the bottom of the first round. I think he's a tight end. Uh, I think he's a patriot. To post, to post up. He's a patriot. Oh, man. You think Belichick would be able <laughs> Belichick to – would take him in one second. I think he wouldn't be able to find a way to utilize – you got a big old behind. He could post up those linebackers down in the red zone. Yeah, he's – We he's already see player. J.J. Ar- Arciega Whiteside, is yes. that how you pronounce it? I mean, he's already posting people. He's got some of the best post-up games in all of college uh, football. Hakeem Butler. I mean, all Hakeem Butler. Yeah, like that. And post- then we're going to take a guy with, the, like, a 43-inch vert <laughs> who's 285? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, if you he can just – No chance in the red no zone. Chance. Just, no chance. If he can take a hit, like, yeah. a no-brainer. And that's always – everyone just assumes, oh, he could do it. Oh. Hey, it's a different, different. Yeah, it's a, a different, different life. A different. He's, a like, different. the first player that I know, and I'm the same way I grew up not liking Duke – He's probably the first Duke player, and you see a lot of people on, t- on Twitter saying this, that a lot of fans are rooting for even if they don't like Duke because he's that fun to watch. Because they're watching LeBron again. Yeah, we want to see him play like, six rare, games in March Madness. Rare, don't see rich, guys rich. that look like that. No, you don't see guys look like that. In fact, I had this comparison before LeBron. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Larry Johnson when Larry Johnson said you. I thought he was LJ, or you could even say – um, young Charles, because Charles oh, was yeah. like at six six was a force. But man, I watched Larry Johnson um, in a slam dunk contest against LeBradford Smith back in the day, and, uh, and I mean they went at it. But Larry Johnson was just such a force from high school into JUCO and into UNLV, and he was one of those guys. Grandmama, six, Grandmama, six seven. He was same same size. Like he was two sixty five. He was a Bring big it. dude yeah. and could leap. So that's actually a really good comparison too. I like it. Man, I like it. Lance, I loved it. I loved loved having it on. Hey, make sure you guys continue to check out all the Move the Sticks podcast material, content that we have. NFL.com slash MTS video, YouTube.com slash NFL, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere where you get your favorite podcast.
you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.